Hey, it's Cam. Welcome back to another episode of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. Now, I've been inhabiting the corporal form that is Cameron for about 25 years now, and in that time, I've picked up a few things which I'm going to share with you today. These lessons are in no particular order, and they are subject to change at any moment due to my omnipresent lack of certainty, which I'm beginning to realize is a strength and something that will hopefully carry with me forever. I'm going to open today's episode with a passage from one of my favorite books, Peace is Every Step by Thich Nhat Hanh. Now this excerpt is from a chapter called Nourishing Awareness in Each Moment. One cold winter evening, I returned home from a walk in the hills and I found that all the doors and windows in my hermitage had blown open. When I had left earlier, I hadn't secured them, and a cold wind had blown through the house, opened up the windows, and scattered the papers from my desk all over the room. Immediately, I closed the doors and windows, lit a lamp, picked up the papers, and arranged them neatly on my desk. Then I started a fire in the fireplace, and soon the crackling logs brought warmth back to the room. Sometimes in a crowd, we feel tired, cold, lonely. We may wish to withdraw, to be by ourselves and become warm again, as I did when I closed the windows and sat by the fire, protected from the damp, cold wind. Our senses are windows to the world, and sometimes the wind blows through them and disturbs everything within us. Some of us leave our windows open all the time, allowing the sights and sounds of the world to invade us, penetrate us, and expose our sad, troubled selves. We feel so cold, lonely, and afraid. Do you ever watch yourself, watching an awful TV program, unable to turn it off? The raucous noises, explosions of gunfire are upsetting, yet you don't get up and turn it off. Why do you torture yourself in this way? Don't you want to close your windows? Are you frightened of solitude, the emptiness and loneliness you may find when you face yourself alone? Watching a bad TV program, we become the TV program. We are what we feel and perceive. If we are angry, we are the anger. If we are in love, we are love. If we look at a snow-covered mountain peak, we are the mountain. We can be anything we want, so why do we open our windows to bad TV programs made by sensationalist producers in search of easy money, programs that make our hearts pound, our fists tighten, and leave us exhausted? Why allow such TV programs to be made and seen by even the very young? But we do. We are too undemanding, too ready to watch whatever is on the screen, too lonely, lazy, or bored to create our own lives. We turn on the TV and leave it on, allowing someone else to guide us, shape us, or destroy us. Losing ourselves in this way is leaving our fate in the hands of others who may not be acting responsibly. We must be aware of which programs do harm to our nervous systems, minds, and hearts, and which programs benefit us. Of course, I'm not only talking about television. All around us, how many lures are set by our fellows and ourselves? In a single day, how many times do we become lost and scattered because of them? We must be very careful to protect our fate and our peace. I'm not suggesting that we just shut all of our windows. There are many miracles in the world we call outside. We can open our windows to these miracles and look at any one of them with awareness. This way, 
even while sitting beside a clear flowing stream, listening to beautiful music or watching an excellent movie, we need not lose ourselves entirely in the stream, the music or the film. We can continue to be aware of ourselves and our breathing. With the sun of awareness shining in us, we can avoid most dangers. The stream will be pure, the music more harmonious, and the soul of the filmmaker completely visible. As beginning meditators, we may want to leave the city and go off to the countryside to help close those windows that trouble our spirit. There, we can become one with the quiet forest and rediscover and restore ourselves without being swept away by the chaos of the outside world. The fresh and silent woods help us remain in awareness, and when our awareness is well-rooted and we can maintain it without faltering, we may wish to return to the city and remain there, less troubled. But sometimes we cannot leave the city, and we have to find the refreshing and peaceful elements that can heal us right in the midst of our busy lives. We may wish to visit a good friend who can comfort us, or go for a walk in a park and enjoy the trees and the cool breeze. Whether we are in the city, the countryside, or the wilderness, we need to sustain ourselves by choosing our surroundings carefully and nourishing our awareness in each moment. Now that book is full of wonderful insights into what it means to embody peace in every step because it is up to us to nourish that loving awareness and presence and we are bombarded with a multi-directionality that is designed to inflame and trigger and take hold of our attention but we have to reclaim that reclaim our attention so with that being said let's dive into the first lesson of today which is, it's not life's responsibility to become peaceful. It is yours. There will never be a time where life is so perfectly arranged that you will have no problems. The problem isn't problems. The problem is our attachment to their absence and our reaction to their presence. Expecting to have no problems guarantees suffering when they inevitably arise. Conversely, paradoxically, expecting problems to arise and reframing our perspective, our attitude, and our mindset when they do allows us to cultivate peace within the perpetual chaos of existence. Lesson number two, and again, these are in no particular order. There is no finish line, no final destination. Life isn't a series of goals to be checked off a list. Life is the process, the process of creation, the process of becoming healthy, the process of becoming wealthy, the process of becoming happier. Attention is our number one resource. And if we can direct that attention in a way that benefits us, then we benefit more than just ourselves. And going back to my favorite quote from Buddhism, may we attain enlightenment for the benefit of all sentience. Our attention is our number one resource. And where our attention goes, our time and money follow. It is up to us. It is our responsibility to reclaim that attention and reclaim our lives. That was lesson number three. Lesson number four is no one has it figured out. Figuring it out is what life is. So don't feel guilty that you're not doing what you think you should be doing. Guilt is society's voice in your head, and society doesn't have it figured out either. Neither do your friends or your parents or the teachers or the preachers or the influencers. So disregard them. Disregard what they say and disregard what you think they're saying. 
you need to disregard the expectations and the preconceptions and the biases of others if you are to create a life that is truly yours. Lesson number five, disruption creates innovation. To feel how you've never felt, do what you've never done. Disrupting your environment, changing the inputs of the data that your brain receives will change the outputs. It will create new ways of thinking, new ways of feeling, and new ways of being. Creation requires destruction, and disruption creates innovation. If you can manipulate your environment, manipulate your position within that environment, then you can have greater control, a nuanced, holistic approach to the way that you're seeing reality. When you're stuck in a rut, you got to change shit up. Lesson number six, beliefs are self-fulfilling. And we are all caught in self-fulfilling prophecies. Confucius says that the man who says he can and the one who says he can't are both correct. And I will not partner with pessimists or cynics because their beliefs are self-fulfilling. Anybody that says that they see reality in a very clear way, they are to them, absolutely. But reality is subjective. What we see is subjective. What we're trained to see is subjective. And how that information is interpreted is also subjective. I walk into a room with you. We might sit down in a nice cafe and we're going to notice completely different things. You might notice that the floor hasn't been cleaned in far too long. And I might notice that the person in the back of the room is not appreciating the music. And they're really trying to catch the eye of the server to try and turn that down so they can focus on reading their book. And all of these things are, again, interpreted through our own unique neural pathways that have been formed through our consolidated human experience in a way that allows our brain to use the past to predict the future. But the past is no longer there. All there is is now. And it is up to us to use the subjectivity, the placebo-like nature of our brains to create a reality that pleases us. If reality is subjective, then let's take advantage of that. I'd rather live in a world of deluded happiness than one of emotionally bankrupt clarity. Lesson number seven. It is our responsibility to create instead of react. Life comes from us, not at us. And if we don't like the reality that we're seeing, we have to change it from within. When something happens, when anything happens, Instead of instantly reacting, attaching, and assigning emotional value to what could be a neutral event, hit pause, take a deep breath, and use that incredible brain of yours to consciously reframe the way that you are looking at things. And when you do this, when you practice awareness, you increase the space between you and your thoughts, the space between a stimulus and a response, the space in which enlightenment occurs. If you do this in the moment, you can immediately change your perspective, the way that you are viewing reality. If you do this consistently, you can change your entire reality. Every day is an opportunity to shape yourself and your reality into the self and reality that you want to inhabit. Change the way that you interface with the universe, interface with yourself. Lesson number eight you'll never have all of the information you think you need to act. Our brains are 
built to decide, act, evaluate, repeat. Decide, act, evaluate, repeat. If you can't see the way through, just take the next step. We allow the gap between where we are and where we want to be to be filled with doubts and insecurities and fear and imposter syndrome. And that's just noise shouted into a void. And action is how we cut through that noise, like a sharp knife through butter. If you act, what you were anxious about moments ago is disintegrated, dissolved, scattered to the wind, and you'll have new things to be concerned about. And we act through those. And we maintain humble receptivity and throw away our certainty and act with intention and embody that intention in a way that allows that energy to carry us through those doubts. But just remember that you don't have to assign a value to all of your doubts and insecurities. Sometimes that's just anxious energy and we interpret it through the language of thoughts, but that's just more thoughts. And we're not very good at thinking ourselves out of a certain state of mind. We get stuck when we get in our own way, but the obstacle is the way, the resistance is the way, what's in the way becomes the way, and what's in the way is usually us. So act through the doubts. You will gain more information, but the best you can do is make the best decision you can with what you have, and when you know better, you can do better. Decide, act, evaluate, repeat. Decide, act, evaluate, repeat. Lesson number nine, do the difficult. When you deliberately do the difficult, the intolerable becomes tolerable. The negative becomes positive. Your definitions are rewritten. And as your definitions of tolerance and stress, joy, anger, love, and peace are rewritten, so too is your definition of self. Because real success is success with self. Real change is self-change. It all starts as soon as you make the decision. So decide, act, evaluate, repeat. Lesson number 10 is we must always return to baseline. Dopaminergic pleasure is fleeting and temporary. And while I will continue to engage and indulge in things that provide that pleasure, it's up to me to become aware of when that pleasure, uh, when the pursuit of that pleasure becomes not about the pleasure itself, but about alleviating the pain and discomfort that exists in pleasure's absence. If we can retrain our brains, ourselves, to find pleasure in the breath, pleasure in stillness, pleasure in boredom and solitude, in simple things like washing the dishes and folding the laundry, then we make that baseline a better place to be, the place to which we must always return. We can foster that into a warm, loving environment. Then when we do indulge in those fleeting temporary pleasures, we can savor every bit of them rather than try and hold on to them and watch them slip through our fingers. Now, today's episode is a short episode because I've got to get back to packing. Uh, as of tomorrow, I am driving a few thousand kilometers from the southeastern edge of Australia to northern Queensland. It's a big drive, and I got some things to sort out, and I left a lot of this to the last minute because 
I say that I find my flow in a crisis. And this is the typical neurodivergent approach is uh, when there's a deadline, you find your focus, you find your flow, you find your capacity. But the side effect of that is anxiety. The side effect of that is guilt and shame. And why do I leave things to the last minute? Why don't I make a plan? La di da di da. I think we need to surround ourselves with people that can help us to act and execute and enact gentle barriers that allow us to direct our attention and energy in a more deliberate fashion because the nature of neurodivergency is divergency and diversity and thoughts, behaviors, actions, and reactions. And it can be hard to focus on one thing when you are focusing on everything. ADHD is not an inability to focus. It's an ability to focus on everything. We are exposed nerves receiving data in this hypersensitivity that allows for creativity and expression and diversity. But that sensitivity means that we're also sensitive to anxiety and uncertainty and confusion and pressure and stress. And we lay on these interpretations of self, these disappointments and these aspects of guilt and shame when in reality, we're doing pretty awesome. We're doing good. When you need help, ask for it. And when you are offered help, accept it. I will be releasing a podcast with Morgan from Mindside Guidance next week. We actually just recorded it a few minutes ago. Oh my goodness, she's just awesome. She's wonderful. So much to share, so much to teach. Uh, we will certainly be doing more episodes in the future. I really can't wait. Um, and we also spoke about some of the stuff that comes up as a creator. After the episode was finished, we talked about how strange it is to be doing what we're doing and how through embodying your intention, you sometimes reach a place where that intention is almost reversed. It's the paradoxical nature of things. Uh, we get on there initially to connect and to express and to form community and share wisdom and learning. But as the numbers build and as the messages increase and as the anxiety from not responding to people continues to amplify, you end up retracting more, uh, becoming more insular and insulated. Uh, it makes it more difficult to reply, more difficult to respond. And that initial intention of connection is now reversed and it's a redaction of self. And these are things that oh, I guess very few people are aware of. Um, I really dislike the term influencer. I also would never call myself a guru. I'm the anti-influencer that ironically or paradoxically has a lot of influence now, but I want to use that influence to empower individuals, to empower your own capacity. And as I've said before, every truth that I mention is a signpost to the truth. And your job is to not look at the speaker of that truth, i.e. me in this situation. Your job is to look at the truth itself and distill your own truth from that truth and understand that the questions and the questions that we ask are far more important than the answers we receive. 
But it was nice to speak to somebody who gets it, gets how weird and strange and wonderful and confusing and exciting it is to be operating in this realm and how special it is to have the opportunity to speak in this way and have people listen and embody and share their own insights and learnings on this strange journey through this rock hurtling through space and time. So anyway, um, I'm going to sign off and get this podcast up and out. I apologize if this episode was a little bit fragmented and strange. Uh, and I'm speaking quietly because I'm in a house full of people that are asleep. But you're not sleeping. You're listening. So take this as an opportunity to decide how you're going to act with intention this weekend. Take this moment to check in with yourself, check in with how you're feeling. Breathe consciously, deeply, nourishing that awareness and decide to change your inputs next week, disrupt your environment, disrupt your routine, and just see what kind of innovation comes from that. Create it with curiosity and compassion and grace and excitement because the world is exciting. And a lot of that anxiety is just potential that is yet to be manifested. I love you. I am grateful for you. I'll speak to you soon. And I will document my journey as I drive up the coast to a new chapter of my life. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know. Leave a review. Hit me up for guest requests, uh, topic requests, etc., etc. Email podcast at ahelpful.co and I'll see you next time.